Hey up friends, how's it going? My name is Matt Barr, you're listening to Looking Sideways Action Sports Podcast. You know the drill by now, it's a show where I try and uncover the most fascinating stories in action sports and other related endeavours. Thanks for listening to this episode and I hope you enjoy it and I've got to be honest, it's an auspicious occasion this one. Indeed, it is the first podcast interview I've done in person since way back in March. Yep, I was able to meet a guest, sit down face to face for an actual real life conversation. No Zoom, yibble, no time zone to negotiate, just an actual conversation with another human being. Forgotten how much I've missed it, to be honest, but then again, that might have something to do with this week's guest who is one of my oldest and dearest friends, the great Ben Mundy. Now, Mundy's a surf writer and a journalist and a lifer, if you will, of the Australian surf industry. But, you know, he's, over the years, he's left behind that topless volleyball scene. He was a staffer at Tracks for years. And um, these days he writes about surfing for absolutely everybody with that trademark blend of caustic wit, high intelligence and a keenly developed bullshit radar that has it's fair to say got him into trouble at various points over the years which is something we did discuss during this interview yes i did bring up that infamous reuben ash piece that pissed off so many people in british surfing a few years back these days he's working like i say for a lot of different people the wsl he does a lot of the content stuff he puts out the brilliant it's not the length podcast for wavelength magazine that's a must um, subscribe, I would suggest, even if it is just for that recent segment where they rip the piss out of me. And he still writes for everyone from uh, Surfer to Tracks. So yeah, you know, he's, he's in there, he's in the scene. And more importantly, these days he lives down the road from me in Tunbridge Wells. And he's so surf starved that he's even started turning up at the hot pipes for a sneaky session with me when the tides, sludge and wind aligned. And so it was one fateful August day that the forecast looked good. Storm Ellen had uh, kicked a minuscule bit of groundswell down the channel. The sun came out and we found ourselves sitting in a car actually at the hot pipe. I mean, we were overlooking the hot pipe because big news down here is they've put a new car park in that literally overlooks the hot pipe. So we pulled up there and we recorded this episode. As you might expect, given that this was the first face-to-face interview for months and like I say it was with one of my oldest mates spirits were high as you're going to hear I'll be back at the end with the usual housekeeping corner rubbish but in the meantime here's me and Ben Mundy get a dog up yeah enjoy you're a pro you don't need my help no Technical skills is not my forte. Go on, give us a little. Give us a little testing. One, one two, three. Hot pipes oh. recording. Oh, hot pipes live at the hot pipes. That's pretty loud. Too loud for the hot pipes. No, that's good. That's good. Oh. So, you know, this is exciting because for a few reasons. Firstly, it's my first in-person podcast since lockdown, which is very exciting because I've done so many of them by Zoom. Secondly. Um, it's the one with you, which we've been talking about for years, which we spectacularly failed to do in France because we got too drunk for three days. <laughs> Thirdly, we are at the hot pipes and it looks pretty good, doesn't it, Ben? Hot pipes is piping, Matt Bar, yeah. Looks, I just saw a little left between the poles, as they say down these parts. It's pretty exciting. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> here we are. So we thought we'd record 
you know, little pre pre surf installment. We're going to do it in two two halves, and then I'm hoping to get you to review the hot pipes afterwards. Um, I'm seeing it as a follow up to your Bournemouth Reef review. Yeah, some of my best work, Matt. Some actually, of your, some of your best work. Viral sensation. Yeah, certainly the most successful YouTube video I've ever been part of. I mean, last <laughs> time I had a look, it was on the you know. 60 70 thousand views oh, I, think, I think it's probably cracked the 80k mark by now yeah you might, you might have found that yeah well, that, so there we go um so how you doing i'm well thanks mate yeah very good it's warm it's set the scene it's like 25 degrees in the mitsubishi <laughs> it's glassy at brighton and there's little it's not breaking yet but there's little waves so um, yeah i'm in a i'm in a pretty good frame of mind we do we're doing the sort of classic brighton wait for the tide to drop oh. out situation it's all part of the appeal it's all part of the magic i mean last time we were uh, when did you come down like a couple of weeks ago bit of a tiny summer swell i mean this looks better but you were a bit like what what was this <laughs> i was a bit but i did enjoy <laughs> well, the, like, all the the surf bands in the car park so i missed that you know just rocking up talking shit yeah talking about surfing i mean ollie dawson had a good story about a uh, yeah, um, <laughs> that's uh, not maybe that's a little not safe for work, but yeah, I remember what you. Yeah, what, all that <laughs> sort of stuff, Matt. You know, just all the uh, the, the surf bands. There we go. Yeah, the waves weren't great, but often it's just getting wet and hanging out with your mates. That's what it's all about, isn't it? Yeah. So, would you say this is now your local? Well, yeah. The last two surfs I've driven here, so yeah, I reckon as the crow flies and through your, uh, you know, you've you've paved the way smoothed over the locals for me and i can sort of come down and i, feel I mean like hardly fucking hell i got properly started on air in december like actually properly started on you know the guy was like offered me out on the beach now you know because he'd not got out of my way when i was on a wave yeah. so i wouldn't i wouldn't say i'm like that in with the locals here but you know it is it is definitely a scene i do love it um and i do love the like you say, the the car park vibes, which are one of the best parts. Go to carrots. I don't think I've taken to carrots yet. Actually. No, right now so we'll I've got to earn the stripes for that. I'd imagine. So we'll have to do that. So, but you know, this now being your new local, what does that say about your surfing life in well, twenty in twenty, in 2020? Well, I've made some wrong decisions, Matt. I would say, <laughs> be brutally honest. Where, um, where does it rank in terms of all the locals that you? Well, all the places that you've called locals over the years. Well, it's obviously the worst in terms of uh, wave quality and backdrop, <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, probably water quality. Probably on most of the key parameters. Key I'd metrics. Say, I'd say it, it ranks low on the uh, KPIs <laughs> for sure. Um, I was supposed to be in France actually this week, which um, that's where I tend to do most of my surfing. I bolt down there from my home in the. Obviously, lived in the UK for a while now, and. Um, yeah, that's where you, I just bolt there when there's good waves and stay at my mates. That's my go-to, but that was it's been removed as a possibility. Yeah, because of the old quarantine, you've made the call, you're not going to do it, right? Not for now, yeah. So, uh, you know, to get you, you do what it takes to get wet. So, yeah, um, yeah, the you, well, as yeah, it's it's the local. It's not it's not ideal, but you know, it's, it, what, it's what, it is what it is. We're seeing it on a very good day here. I mean, this is. This is one of them where everyone's going to be frothing, I think. There's already people turning up to gaze at the, as the tide drops out, which is a good sign. So, yeah, so you're in Tunbridge Wells. I've not I actually am. been to your place, but that's where you're living now. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we were in London for a long time. Well, we were in France for a little while and then back to London. And then last year we um, moved out of London 
down to the sort of countryside really, um, only about an hour from London, sort of in between Brighton and and London really. So yeah, moved to the country, got out, sort of worked out well in terms of all the shit that's gone down with the COVID, but um, yeah, still yeah, yeah, landlocked effectively. Yeah, it's not, not ideal. How's your COVID been? You've been doing, I, I see you've been doing a lot of podcasts. Been doing a lot of podcasts with um, Evans, listening to a lot of podcasts. It wasn't that bad. I kind of, we were new to the area, so I just explored where we lived, which is always exciting part when you move somewhere new, and it's pretty beautiful countryside. Uh, I work from home, as you know, so as a writer, so it wasn't that, I mean, just going off to my little box and writing about surfing or whatever else I do that's what I do normally so it wasn't a massive change it was just a lot more boring really <laughs> a lot more less social interaction which I I enjoy yeah but yeah compared to um obviously as as always the caveat isn't it yeah compared to some people yeah got off pretty lightly well we also went snowboarding didn't we we did and made a very in hindsight a very very good decision because we went snowboarding with some very dear friends of ours because um, full disclosure me and Ben are very close friends and known each other for getting on for 20 years now so um, that will probably become apparent as this goes on but yeah we went snowboarding um, in uh, Maribel and it was one of them wasn't it it was like pre I mean it wasn't pre-COVID because COVID was definitely happening but it was pre-realisation of the extent of it because I remember we had a pint and we were all bumping elbows and it was really funny you know <laughs> and then as that trip went on it was like, oh, holy shit, like, this is really bad. We might as well just get stuck in. And it was great, wasn't it? You know, we got some good snow, saw a load of old mates, had a few beers, and then kind of got back, and literally a week later it was locked was down, on. and that was that, wasn't it? And, yeah. And, um, did you feel like you got something as well? Because I certainly did when we came back from that trip, but I couldn't really work out if it was just a very serious hangover. Yeah, it was hard to differentiate between the um, physical ramifications of, five days at the world's greatest bar in Bozell uh, in Bozell or just the COVID so yeah I could have had it I, I mean the kids had a bit of a cough and I had a bit of a cough but I don't think I didn't feel as much as you I wasn't debilitated so I, I don't know if I did or not but um, I do remember when I was coming back like the flights the flight next to me we were all waiting to hop on the plane and the, the sort of gateway next to us they just yelled out that uh, the flight to Serbia has been cancelled <laughs> um, just as, a, as they were about to board uh, because the borders have been shut down like literally then that's when i was like oh wow this is if i get stuck here like i'm literally divorced i knew that for a fact yeah so yeah it it got really close to why but yeah it was one of the most epic trips i've done in a long time so yeah i'm glad i ran the gauntlet it was it was it was worth it in hindsight so your work's not been affected too much then basically because you are a surf journalist and a writer and and a non-surf journalist which again is how we met so we met I'm going to say it was 2003 when I came to Australia and I was editing White Lines and you read it in tracks and you are married to one of my very close friends and obviously we'd heard about each other for years and then it was one of them on it where it was like hey let's get the kind of snowboard and surf journalist guys together <laughs> and kind of went from there didn't it so but that's your that's what you've always done is it like surf journalism um i did for a long time yeah i did an economics degree and then sort of did a bit of work in the banking sector and stockbroking sector but every time i'd sort of i always forget about that right yeah so do i but um, <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty you know the longer time goes on it's definitely quite an incongruous image that one <laughs> yeah well i just kept sort of saving up when I had enough money, I just sort of travelling to go surfing. Basically, that was what because 
all my mates grew up as um, tradesmen and they'd always sort of, they were done by, they were 20 and they were just travelling the world, snowboarding and surfing. I was stuck at uni and then stuck in a job. So I took off, yeah, and then and got lucky. My um, I, I was, always loved riding and I rode a few yarns about my travels. and um, Surf travels? Yeah, or I just sort of did a year and a half backpacking around, yeah, the, sort of the world, doing the Aussie thing is what you do in Morocco and France yeah. and Spain and Portugal right. and all, all that normal, the normal route. But I wrote a few yarns about it, and they got published because my really good friend Sean Doherty um, was a deputy editor of the tracks at the time. So, and then when I went away, gave him my job at the stockbroking place. Um, I was in actually camping in the Western Australian desert, and he got the job as editor. Right. And there was a job going up, so he, I got in touch, and he said, "Yeah, apply." And I, I actually did the interview from a like the. Nalu phone box in the <laughs> desert. Yeah, so it's pretty, pretty hard, pretty uh, cool. Yeah, back then tracks was pretty cool surf mag. Well, that dates it, doesn't it? Phone box. <laughs> so I, I just, uh, I got lucky basically. I just, what I wanted to do happened without any doing any, in a classic bit, bit of um, nepotism, which is yeah, what I, what I like, Matt. Well, you know, it goes a long way. And not a similar, dis, you know, dissimilar to yours. Are you, you know, creating white lines and creating getting into the biz, you know, something you love and it sort of made it happen, so. Yeah, well, there we go, lucky. there we go. So there's someone on doing the high tide at the pipes. What's that What's that called, Matt, between the, that's the actual that hot pipe. Is the, that is the hot pipe. That's the hot pipe. That Matt. is it. I've got my eyes on that left, I'll tell you. <laughs> that is literally it. <laughs> You'll know as it drops from the bloom that comes out the end of it. Right. <laughs> that everyone always yeah. ignores. Uh, well, there's a bit of air in front of us. Yeah. So you grew up in Newcastle? Yeah, I did. I grew up in um, a place called Redhead, about 15 minutes or 15 miles south of Newcastle, where right. mum and dad still still live on the bluff there. Yeah, so about uh, five minutes, not even, two-minute walk to the beach. So I was, yeah, really, really lucky. And that was your f- so that was your first local? Yeah, I grew up there from... What was that like? It was a brilliant beach. It was good waves, like sort of holds a bit of size and it barrels and it's really consistent. And it was a small little community, so, you know, the early days it was um, quite a sort of typical small town Australian surf community, pretty hardcore, loads of doll bodges that just hung at the beach all day and surfed all day. Yeah. Pretty radical, pretty um, pretty localism in some ways, but um, a good community. Grew up in and I had just had all my mates and we all just surfed and I surfed, just got the bug and I was I could surf before school, so I'd bolt down before school. I could surf after school. Um, once I got the bug, yeah, I just, I loved it. And then often, obviously when I got older, just during school. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And then, did, so the trip that you described is the classic Aussie surf right of passage then. So where, where'd you go? You did, the, you said Morocco, but like yeah, Bali. Yeah, I left, like um, <clears throat> I left, I went to Indo. So straight from Sydney. I'd never actually been on, been on a plane. Well, I'd been on a plane before, but I jumped out of it. I did a tandem once. <laughs> I was like 20. <laughs> and then, um, so when I my, when I landed in Bali, that was the first time I ever landed on a plane. <laughs> <laughs> and anyway, yeah, so I did Bali for t- two or three months, Nias, and at, to the Hanakos up Bawa before it got wrecked. That famous Tom Carroll wave, uh, Tom Curran wave. Yeah. And then went on to Europe. My sister was living in London at the time. I did, uh, Mar- yeah, so landed there, and then I did, um, yeah, Canary Islands for a month. And I did Morocco for three months. Then came back and I worked in Edinburgh for a while doing more banking stuff. Right. And wore the one suit for three months. Sure. And um, yeah, and then down and then got a job in Jersey actually. Where I, 
look, he's left off the pipes again. Yeah, I worked in Jersey. I went there to go to do banking stuff, but actually got a job as a surf instructor teaching Swedish girls how to surf. <laughs> it's uh, still to this day. I mean, it's pretty much been all downhill ever since, <laughs> I'll be honest. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just a, I had a brilliant trip, basically. And then, right. Yeah. And then what, the West Oz was, was an extension so of that? I came, yeah, I came back, done my money, came back, got a new job in a, like just in another sort of, yeah, equity firm. And then again, I did a year's work and then stayed up and I went to, did uh, West Oz. And the plan was to do West Oz and Indo, then Hawaii. Right. I was all, you know, had all the money and I was on. And then, yeah, after three months. Got the call. Yeah, I got the call. Then I come back. Got the fateful call. Got the fateful call, which changed my life, literally. It let me, in, you know, inevitably to staring at hot pipes. <laughs> Little did you know. Um, so what year was this? Uh, 2000. Yeah. So just a few years before we met then, right? Yeah, Not so that I'm trying to like make that like the the, the flag yeah, in the, the ground thing. moment of your life, nah, but nah, you know, I, like I just try to orientate the yeah, conversation. Yeah, exactly. So you, you know. would have turned up a couple of years later. Right. So, so, you, so you moved to Sydney because that's where Trax was. That's right. Yeah. And then was, did you move to Stamwell Park? I did. Yeah. At we that moved, point, I did. Yeah. I moved down. Stayed. I think six months of my mate Gary Blizzard <laughs> in uh, Gaza, in sort of near Cronulla, and then I got a house which is a legendary kind of. Um, it's a sort of fun party surfer house down in Stanwell Park where I think over the course of like eight years probably 50 men and women lived and had the time of their lives so yeah I had like five years down there so you did a bit in Cronulla so another another local yeah did a bit of Cronulla the highlight of the um, Stanwell Park though was of course the Southern Stanwell Sensational 70 single fin surf offs and sausage chisel right sponsored by the Shell Service Station was held on the second Saturday <laughs> in September that was, a, that was an annual single fin event that is a very alliterative event it was very alliterative Paul Evans just pricked his ears yeah, up yeah yeah you couldn't get any more alliterative there <laughs> and then yeah after that Sarah came out my now wife and then we moved to Cronulla and I had a good stint in Cronulla which was amazing right so Samuel Park, when you moved there, was that quite a random move? Because it's not close to Sydney, as I discovered when I went there. Because <laughs> um, I went there, like, last, last trip I was on, we just drove down there for the day. And I was like, oh, this is where Ben used to live in. And I was like, wow, it's, it's actually quite far, isn't it? Yeah, it was like a 50-minute commute. Um, so you, you, you got the train. on train every day, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah why did you, you, you live there? You know what, looking back, it's one of those, it was, the house came out, I love that, it's a beautiful, for those that don't know, it's... I mean, it's absolutely beautiful. It's on the, sort of, enclosed by the uh, Royal National Parks. It's only like, probably 50 miles as the crow flies from Sydney, but it's this beautiful, sort of, pristine place. Anyway, yeah, and my friends are there, and I just, the house came up, and I was, I didn't really want to live in Sydney, I was, Redhead's a small place, I think I was a bit... I hadn't really gotten onto the waves around Cronulla, I sort of blew it. I didn't just realise that the wealth and amazing world-class waves at Cronulla. Right. So I sort of hadn't explored that enough. And then that came up and, yeah, I just kind of like, quite like the village life. And yeah. And out of Sydney and it was a bit cheaper. And then once you're there, you make, you, set, you set your roots. So, yeah, it was a bit of a weird choice, but it had, had many benefits. But, um, yeah, the commuting was a, bit, it was a bit of a pain in the ass, to be honest. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Well, it just didn't seem like the most obvious choice for somebody who was working in Sydney and, like, no. you know, running that mag and travelling a lot. And yeah, and it was also, like, on the other side of Newcastle, my mum and dad were in Redhead where I grew up, so it, was, it made that. I mean, in many, in many ways, it was a bit of a odd choice, but it, was, it is a special part of the world. And, yeah. Um, yeah, so, but, yeah, it, yeah. I had a bit of inauspicious beginning. I paddled out at... That on the first one, the first day, six foot, absolutely firing, left handers at the end of the stand wall, and um, 
There's a famous local there called Eddie the Predator. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, the names. Yeah. That's why all your stories are just yeah, like, he, the, it's like, they, they can't be real, these names. He looks, like Dog, he, you, he, you know, Eddie the Predator, who you like just mentioned predator. before. He looks like the Predator. <laughs> he had dreads, like. He a, yeah, he had dreads. He was like eight foot wide, no <laughs> teeth. He's a legendary surfer. Everyone, if you know, if you've been to Bali, if you've been to G-Land. Yeah, he's a legend. You know the boy, Predator. He's, a, boy, he's, he's a got his own, like a surfer model named after him, blah, blah, blah. He's a but, proper, uh, he's a proper he's loke. He's a fucking lunatic. I ended up being friends with the first time we met. He, he he thought I dropped in on him. I swear to this day that I didn't. <laughs> but he reckons I did, and he he wasn't one to ask questions. He um he came out and he just threw like six proper punches at me, connected, like doof 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 doof. If you know me, I'm no fighter. And um, I came out and I was like, mate, you you fucking belted me. You, you're just gonna have to keep belting. He said, go in. I was like, it's too good. The waves are too good. You to, oh, you just have to keep belting me, or. That's it. Well, you know, we're not going to surf and eventually let me go. So anyway, that's the story. But after that, we, we, uh, did, be, we did become friends. I, I always really like that story about Lakey as well. Didn't you, didn't you um, see that British lad paddle out with no fins yeah. at Lakey? Like, no fins. And, you know, been pissing off the locals, fronting it up, and then basically dropped in and did about eight 360. <laughs> On a six-footer at Lakey P and just literally fizzled. Backwards down the wave, yeah. And then turned his board up. Hilarious. Realised he'd not put his fins... I mean, mm. talk about there's no coming back from that, especially at that place. Well, Jesus. After Eddie done that, we sort of stayed. I kept a bit of a clear berth of him. And then about a year later, I was in Indo travelling on a track strip with like... Sorry to drop names here, but with Mick Fanning and Parco. Drop, drop away, that's what you're here for. And all those boys. And we're in this that little tiny airport in um, Padang in uh, Indonesia in, in Sumatra where you, you get the boat trips out to the Mentawis and we were on this tiny little thing and he was in part of another group Eddie was and he knew Mick and Joel and that and Parker goes oh Eddie Predator do you know Mundy <laughs> he goes nah nah I said yeah you do mate you fucking punched me in the face six times in a row and he's like what and he, he goes oh you would you would have deserved it and then we're mates ever since but anyway that's the postscript Matt there you go there you go so what was the track years like because it, it always looked amazing it always looked like you had a Amazing crew, yeah. Great group of friends. It, you know it, the golden years when there was a bit of money. There was lots of trips going around. There was ad money around. You know, like you, you you hit that right basically. Yeah, I mean it was such a special place to work. We had a in, like, yeah incredible crew. So Sean Dowdy was the editor who who I went to university with and was really close. Ronnie Blakey, who's now the WSL commentator, who I think might be the world's like funniest man. He doesn't <laughs> always come across quite professional on the on the commentary but he's fuck he's a funny funny dude so he was there uh, matt griggs is a good surfer and writer now a um, meditation expert um and jezza blake yeah so this amazing just and we just had fun and we weren't getting paid a lot but it didn't matter i was getting surf trips we were, i was riding for a living it was just a really it was loose looking back some of the stuff you know <laughs> we were doing was probably of its time but um yeah, I just, I just love it. Oh, you mean it wouldn't pass the Me Too test? Nah, it yeah. probably wouldn't. I mean, nude Fridays, that wouldn't work anymore. Yeah, um, yeah. And, it's, yeah, it was a special time. And, you know, we put out good stuff. Sean is, is an amazing editor. Oh, he's amazing. So yeah. we changed he's, the he's, sort of... He's one of the, you know, in all seriousness, he is an absolutely amazing writer and editor, isn't he? Yeah, so he, we, we, it was on a bit of a downhill, so we sort of changed the fortunes of the magazine, that it became more successful. And, you know, we were just... 
loving every day. It was just a joy to go to work, and we laughed. We just laughed every day. So yeah, and, and I'm obviously still so close with all those those guys. So yeah, it was really formative, really special part, and yeah, it wasn't stockbroking. So it was, yeah, it was fucking. It was just brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember coming to so that trip I did when we met. I remember going to a party with you lot on that boat around Sydney Harbour. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember that? It was like a model party. It was, it was, like, it was like it was Sydney Fashion Week. <laughs> and I got this bird from Home and Away said to me, what show are you in? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I know I'm with that lot. Um, but yeah, they were funny. I remember came back from the, from having a piss and you were all going through my bag and reading my notebook. Yeah. <laughs> and then when I went back to look at the notebook the next day, the girl that ran surf girl maybe what was her name oh yeah anyway she'd wrote note to self her name is hot uh, <laughs> no, clearly not true i was like all right yeah. there you go yeah sometimes bit, bit the, of that the um personal boundaries will push somewhat and uh, i know they were they were all very very welcome to me because you know i was like the ultimate pommy kook snowboarder turning up um but yeah so then obviously you you know we started working together quite soon after this yeah it's starting to look quite good isn't it um, we yeah. might be almost ready to curtail part one of the podcast. Yeah. The, the, the Hot Pipes is doing its best decent wave impression. Um, but yeah, so you mentioned that you were, you know, Sarah, who's a close friend of mine and an old friend of mine, and then your, your wife, um, who's English. So you had to crack the classic Aussie um, English romance conundrum by moving to London, essentially. Yeah, that's right. So because I was still the deputy at, uh, at that time Sean was still the editor and I just I knew that Sean wasn't going anywhere he, he was really settled I just I figured that I couldn't really get my hands on the mag you know it wasn't going to be quick I always wanted I still was still had the travelling bug a bit too I still wanted to live in I really wanted to live in France basically that was always right. the goal and I thought I could just come over here and, and do that I thought that would be easier than it turned out to be, just with all the visas and blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, so I oh just God, decided yeah, we to should chat about your visa to Oh, yeah, that's a good one. That's a good story. Yeah, so I decided to throw it in and um, and just go freelance. And then hopefully, uh, the aim was to get, I had some mates that worked for Billabong and were still really close that were working there. So I thought I could just sort of do the old Aussie surf brand, French dream kind of thing. But yeah. that proved a bit more difficult. And then, yeah, with you and Chris and, and Ewan, who were running a similar business to what I did but more in the snowboard world and travel riding it was an amazing opportunity to work with you guys so that was that was that's what like those first few years in the UK were amazing because I was working with you guys I was doing all the some of those you know doing a lot of travel riding weren't we for the, the yeah no, we, that, that was that was the heyday of the travel travel writing blag for sure and the press trips you know I hadn't snowboarded much so, yeah you know, wasn't was your getting, first trip like a Jackson hole like cap boarding yeah. mission or something and then like Zermatt and just the most amazing press which was never paying a cent so it was just it was incredible and it was a bit like the tracks that office that we had was a fun fun place to be with the soul sports boys next door and and you and chris and you and i mean we just had a laugh and i was still doing what i loved <laughs> still oh there we go getting some shit um yeah so i worked with you and that was that was a brilliant part like you know I, f I felt also that we're working the business we had some big clients we're starting to find our feet a bit more commercially yeah like, i mean when, when bums, i look back when i look back to those years yeah it was like just a huge learning curve wasn't it because essentially we were trying to create a content marketing agency but we didn't really call it that did we at the no, time it was like if only well but now you would that's what you would say isn't it you, and we because we, because originally we started out as 
I mean, this is how dated it is, but it's not even that long ago. But the original plan was to do a, a, a writing agency, wasn't it? You know, it's like, well, we can do a freelance writing agency. We can, we can write about surfing, skateboarding, snowboarding, sell it to mainstream media, keep the tone right, represent... You know, it was all, like, quite idealistic, wasn't it? And mm. all that. Um, and, and that did really work. But then it, like you say, it morphed into, like, a commercial thing, which eventually led to all conditions media that I'm still doing today. But, but yeah, no, it was a great, it was a great time. And, and really very steep learning curve I think it would be fair to say wouldn't it yeah well, I think we got thrown into some you know serious business businesses that obviously rightfully wanted good work for their money and yeah I think we had to be professional maybe for the first time in our life something that it's always been I've struggled with somewhat if I'm <laughs> honest um, curtailing my natural kind of you know trying to just yeah, well you do you do it better than me, Matt. But um, playing the game, I suppose. So, but yeah, we had you know that big Red Bull gig. Yeah, some good gigs, we some good gigs for gigs. sure. We had yeah, the Nissan stuff. So yeah, it was a, it was a learning curve, and obviously made some mistakes, but it was also brilliant in terms of the friendships I made from it, and and yeah, the travel I got was just incredible. Yeah, so then the next, I guess, point, which uh, we maybe we should come back to that. What do you reckon? Should we get in? Yeah, I reckon we go surfing, mate. Yeah, it's looking all right, isn't it? All right, let's park it there for now. And then when we get back, we'll do the, we'll have the review. Don't go anywhere, folks. So on, um, how disappointing was that surf on? <laughs> well, I'm going to even go even further. Like on the, you had to rank that amongst the worst surfs you've <laughs> ever had. Whereas it's got to be up there, it'd right? Be, yeah, it'd be up there. It would be up there, I must admit. <laughs> not, that, not that I uh, like any surf. You never, you never come out with neg- negative equity, but it was pretty close. <laughs> it was pretty close. <laughs> it was pretty close. But at least you got to see the, you know, the worst sight in surfing, which is people on boards that are too short for them and shitty waves try to inelegantly pump for speed. Well, you pretty much summed up my my session there. Yeah, mm-hmm. wrong board, wrong time. Yeah, it was nice. The conditions were good. Yeah, but there was just didn't quite happen. The pipes just didn't turn on. No, they didn't. They didn't. And we built. We built. I'm, sh- I'm guessing if you've been listening to this and there's been that little segue, you can hear the deflation after the <laughs> after the enthusiasm <laughs> that the preceded pre, it. Pre-surf froth. So compared to Bournemouth Reef, how are you going to rank that one? <laughs> well, well, less enthusiastic than Bournemouth Reef. <laughs> so I thought, I thought Bournemouth Reef had a future. Is it so? We did mention this earlier. So essentially, if you haven't seen it, I mean, if you listen to Ben and Paul Evans' wavelength podcast, it does come up fairly often. <laughs> um, and you know, Paul's forever going on about it. But basically, do you want to do you want to fill in the blanks? Uh, yeah, yeah, sure. Um, yeah. So when I was working with you at Ace at All Conditions Media, we um, got the gig to go down and sort of test run Bournemouth Reef. So the Bournemouth Reef was an artificial reef that had been built by a New Zealand company. It was a like a 10 million pound kind of thing and they load these giant sandbags. I mean, can I just say, like, whoever was on the sales for them, like, what a, what a streak. Yeah. I, the ASR, they rinsed loads of countries with loads of money <coughs> and none of them came off. Because, I mean, that was quite a pitch and to, you know, to, to persuade a, a, a council like Bournemouth to be like it's going to cost you 10 million quid and I mean obviously there was a redevelopment that came with it and all that that's what they actually spent they didn't spend it on the reef but um you they know, spent a lot on the reef <clears throat> it's, it's a hell of a they sell isn't millions. it they spent millions of pounds yeah and um 
I mean, in theory, it's such. If it had worked, then it would have been such a viable tourist attraction. You see what good waves. I mean, as in the waves we just surfed on this stretch of coast. <laughs> if you put a good wave, it would people come from miles. But anyway, you so we. I think it was for the Independent, wasn't it? So we well, we did a film, didn't we? Yeah. Um, so we threw in. We said we. I'd write the article on it, and we'd the make Independent's a, f- a major newspaper in the UK, and then we'd also do a little film, uh, which would go on the website, which. We roped in John O'Verity, our good yeah. mate John O to, to film. So anyway, we went down and I surfed it. It was literally the day it opened, like the day it was officially, you know, the public were allowed to surf it. And um, at the time it was, I mean, it was, I mean, the signs were there in hindsight, but it was really sucky. <laughs> it was quite dangerous, but it was like properly like a hollow. I was expecting some sort of, sort of, I don't know, mellowy kind of fat sort of burger. It was just like kind of rearing up and barreling, but it was immediately... So I thought, well, if I get this right and it's like a proper slabbing wave, I thought, could, yeah, the guys are on. Could be good. So I said it could be, yeah, the, the signs are good. Anyway. Which was reflected in the video review. <laughs> unfortunately, like Jono, who like, had done a lot of surfing, like, he's amazing. Are you going to blame Jono? No, oh. no, no, but oh. the, footage of, <laughs> the footage of me wasn't that crash up because Jono, oh, we, yeah, almost, he, we almost drowned. I had to help him out of the water, let's be honest. <laughs> he was, had like this water casing made out of like a fucking ice cream bucket. <laughs> but uh, he, he, Jono definitely wasn't the problem. The problem was my um, over-enthusiastic reveal. And then, yeah, within a few weeks, the sandbag just shifted. It was, it was just dangerous. I tell you, the, the only funny thing about that is when I paddled out <clears throat> and waded out the back and there was this boogie boarder rider, he kept like, trying to paddle on the inside of me and then I just kept paddling on the inside of him. I was all, you know, it was like, no, <laughs> bit like mate, what, like, bit like what just happened yeah, to you at, 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 like, at the ship park. Come on, like, and he, and eventually I said, mate, what, what are you doing? Can we just like sort this out so that I'll get the, I'll get this wave, you get the next wave as per the rules. He's like, where are you from? I was like, don't you fucking start. This place has been breaking for a day. I mean, you can't be a local after six hours. It was like the world's first newest local. I was like, fuck, fuck off, mate. Yeah, that was, a, that was a highlight. Well, I mean, South Coast localism, it runs deep. Anyway, you, it's as still there, just... the reviewers, if you want to go check out. the um, yeah. My favourite bits where I sort of skip down the beach. I do a little, sort of elegant little... Yeah, you did a little Feather, kooky, sort of kooky dance, yeah, didn't you? But and, uh, it is funny, though, because it is widely seen, isn't it? And when you came down earlier the week, introduced to them, and you mentioned this on your podcast, but introduced <laughs> to a mate of mine, and he was like, are you the guy that did the Bournemouth Reef? Are you the Bournemouth Reef guy? Well, let's be honest, you got bagged, didn't you, once people found it? Oh, the comments are hilarious. And uh, and realised, you know, like, is he really, is he really saying this? Yeah, no, it's funny. Well, while we're talking about these kind of um in inverted commas controversies we should probably address the the contentious piece you wrote for who was it surf europe was it yeah ruben ash interview yeah Um, and again that was like that really pissed a lot of people off didn't it and like to the point that i so i know ben skinner like ish i don't know him that well he's been on the podcast and that was about three years ago and he brought it up then. He was like, you know that lad Ben Mundy, don't you? <laughs> and I was like... Well, who brought it up, Matt? <laughs> I didn't bring it up. And then, and Tim Nunn as well. I saw Tim. And this has got to be like, I'm going to say six years ago. We were down in Cornwall. And he was like, you, you know that guy Ben Mundy, don't you? And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a good mate of mine. He's like, yeah, he's not very popular down there after that article that he wrote. So what, what, was, what was the crack there then? The crack was, it was, it's just a profile on Ruben who I... I didn't know well, but I had a bit of 
worked with him a bit through Billabong. Um, so I knew his surfing, I knew him, and it was just a profile. Um, and the, the crux of the piece was that how good a surfer, like Ruben Ash was like, he's by far the best English surfer ever. Like, I, I just thought, I don't think he, talent-wise, he, he, you know, his aerial work and his say. Anyway, but I did an intro, and it was one of those things where I banged it out in about, I don't know, not long at yeah. all. Yeah, and, yeah, I, yeah. and I meant to be edgy, and it was supposed to be funny, but obviously um, it it was... Well, for, the, so, for many people, it was neither. So, and the the premise was essentially like, compared to every other shit house British surfer, was it was that the kind of yeah? It was a bit like I mean, it's like Ruben Ash is the best English surfer right now, but is that that's a class, is that a backhanded compliment? And I <laughs> and I you know I sort of quoted how there were so many um, English surfers who sponsored that obviously get bit of backing and aren't that good and then eventually just go back to being lifeguards and oh yeah and and you may have dropped the c-bomb acting like c-bombs at their own beach so it was pretty punchy and um i mean and there's probably about like 35 former english sponsored surfers who it particularly would have hit home with and um yeah so it <laughs> well i did and then of course <laughs> of course paul evans being paul evans Am- amplified it he oh, massively amplified it just knowing and um yeah because skinner was funny because i knew ben relatively i'd worked on a few i see the um i mean i work for wsl now but i was doing their sort of um press and public relations at a lot of the events i did the longboarding and me and um skinner always got on really well we hung out and and then we worked on another thing for surf europe so we you know we were not super close but we were, we were friendly and then um yeah he, and then he took he took offense and he uh, he got he emailed me like he was really upset i said oh look let's just you know i apologized and said oh we'll just go for a beer we'll sort out and he's like we're not having a beer mate <laughs> i was like okay right so i kind of i got the extent of it anyway yeah but i wasn't too worried yeah i did paddle out at maluk which is like a really like one of the best english best waves i'll probably get in trouble for saying that now but um yeah where reuben ash is his hometown and it was like six foot was was pumping. I was out with Stenty actually, right? Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, looking sideways, cast members. Yeah, me and James Paddle out. He was just like, "You're on your own, Monday." <laughs> I was like, "No, like, oh, no, you got my back." He's yeah. like, "You are so on your own." <laughs> and then I paddle. I saw Ruben. I was like, "Oh, Ruben, it's Monday." And I hadn't seen him since the article, and he, he was like, "Oh yeah, Monday." He goes, "I said, oh, sorry about all the you know the shit that's going on." He goes, "Oh mate, well, I thought it was funny. It's cool, you know, whatever you guys." And he goes, "But just um." pull your hood down and, and don't speak. <laughs> I was like, yeah, okay. Yeah, no, people were definitely annoyed. Yeah. Why do you think it hit home? I'm not, you know, not to, I'm not trying to draw you into stitching yourself up anymore, but in, in all seriousness, like what, why, why do you think it was, people found it so inflammatory? Um, well, you know what? I, I think it was, it was a direct kind of attack at English surfing and English, like, Almost like the, the very thin end edge of the wedge of like sponsored English surfers, so it was quite a pinpointed, targeted yeah. kind of, and it, and I think it was supposed to be funny. It was also a bit just, I mean, in that way that English take the piss out of Australians and Australians take the piss out of English, but it, I think it was a bit too pointed. It wasn't, I think, is why that, and so. And it was obviously a broad brushstrokes. It was, only, you know, it was a mass stereotype 
So the combination, I, I mean, that's just stock and trade. To this day, I still, I don't really take it seriously. But I'm sure if I saw Ben Skinner, I'd take it pretty seriously. But yeah, I mean, wouldn't. it's like, you know, if but I, I dish it out like in my writing, and I've had, you know, I've had other minor controversies where I've kind of been fairly honest. Like I did all the power rankings for Surf Line for like five years, yeah. which is like a. Well, that's where you write <coughs> critiques of the actual pro surfers up oh, every is this event. The Flores thing. Yeah, and I was always like, and that, I mean, it's like I'm not a very good, you know, I'm a capable surfer. I'm not, no, obviously, nowhere near elite level. So as soon as you start critiquing surfers better well, than yourself, it's, it's the classic sort of, did you play the game? Pun, exactly. Pun, punditry so sort of like thing in it. You know, what do you know? You didn't. A, you didn't play. You you're, know, you're already on shaky ground. And yeah, and one time, um. Probably well, actually probably other big YouTube success stories when I yeah mid live interview for the on a WSL webcast, Jeremy Flores like just pulled me up and said, I asked him like, we got a wave in the last moment and said, I said oh, you know how do you do that like you know how do you have the ability of blah 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 and he was like well, you tell me, you're the one that writes shit about me and I was like oh. you can hear my uh, my already high pitched voice just like go up a few octaves. I managed yeah, to kind of like you'd, you'd be doing well to come back from that. Managed to kind of keep it, but yeah, it's the same thing. Where what it, you know, you, you got to be honest, but also you got to if you write it, you got to be prepared to. Yeah, you know, if you upset people, got to stand stick. by it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Well, especially if you're going to invent a character called Rod Cunthorpe. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, which is another. You know, Rod was obviously a much loved alter ego of yours. Who, I mean, give me the pitch on Rod. But this is a tracks column, right? Yeah, Rod Cunthorpe. <laughs> I mean, the name came first. It's just, I mean, again, it's probably one of my some of my best work, mate. But then, uh, yeah, he was just. It was a satirical sort of. I mean, I use that word very lightly. Uh, satirical piece, um, based on like the worst type of surfer you could be. So he, you know, he was, he was a misogynist. He was sexist. He was localism, but he. He was clearly didn't. He was terrible at all at it, and he, so the joke was on him. Yeah, it was, it's a it's a it's the Brandt gag, isn't it? Yeah, you know, like he doesn't. I mean, but it's that's a that's a total legit trope, isn't it? You know, and doesn't well, had, doesn't get that he's the gag. He's yeah. the punchline. And yeah. I had all the gossip because I was hanging around. I was working for tracks. I was doing boat trips with all those surfers, and you just be you know the surf world. Is, well, I became friends with them, and the surf world. And magazines back then, and probably to this day, is that you don't write the actual truth about these guys because that's madness. Because yeah, the advertisers pay the way, and you don't you end up being your mates. And I don't have a problem with that. I've never found that as a a problematic place to. That I always was happy to do that. Yeah, because I'm not I'm not particularly interested in like dishing up dirt on. Yeah, I mean they're just good surfers, and or it, and it's a small community, you know. Um, like I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? Because obviously, it's a bit of a digression, but. I've had Chaz on here, you know, Beach Grip have taken that to like the, you know, nth degree, haven't they? You know, they have really, really just decided yeah. that's their thing, isn't it? Yeah. And, they, and they are going to do that. Although interestingly, not when it involves Chaz's wife's athletes, it would appear. Yeah. So everyone's got their limit with that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but Rod was, yeah, exactly. Rod Rod was sending up this whole dynamic, essentially, yeah. wasn't he? And also the point being, I had, I had all the gossip. So I could actually put in some of those stories with fake names or whatever. And yeah. So yeah, his bit was that you know he was best friends with. Well, you go on these boat trips and um, yeah, he he do all sorts of horror. You know, we go on Rasta and feed him 
dolphin meat, and, you know, blah 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 <laughs> stuff. I mean, stuff like that. It was all, it was seven, yeah. So it was, it was, it was humorous, and people loved it. Like, it was always, yeah. For, for oh, some Rod, reason, Rod, Rod was a lad. Strick a cord. I went to G Land about two years ago, and oh, it's a, a wave in Indonesia, like a famous left hander, and um, the average age, I think, of the sort of punters there is about forty. Like, it's yeah. literally like, and this. I remember we're having breakfast and we're all sitting there and everyone goes, oh, what what have you got? And everyone's handing around anti-inflammatory pills. Like not in the old days, you'd be like <laughs> necking all sorts of pills, but we're all, yeah, all yeah. handing it out. Yeah. So anyway, that I, one of the, well, I was with my mate Benny and then he told someone that I was Rod Cunthorpe and they were like, this guy was like, you're Rod Cunthorpe. And it was like Rod Cunthorpe's <laughs> spiritual home, like 40, <laughs> sort of 40 year old Australian. Yeah. Dirt bags in the, yeah, in, the yeah. in the jungle doing doing the doing the annual trip. And I just forgot that like, people lot really enjoyed it that much. But yeah, so so, so is Rod? Will Rod ever come back? He's yeah. He, I mean, again, obviously you'd, you'd have to have a revamp in the post Me Too. In yeah, the, in, in the modern world. I mean, that is a, that but would, that's easy that, to do. That would be a challenge for Rod. That's, I think. that's easy. To I mean, do. I, I think mean, Rod would definitely be struggling in this new woke era. He definitely had to stay away from some of the um, cousin fingering stuff for sure, but. I think we it's, it's a new world, Matt and Rod can. I'm sure we can adapt. Adaptable it doesn't have to be. Uh, yeah, that, those tropes can easily be there. I mean, they're old and tired and often not fun anyway. So he can be. <laughs> he can. He can be updated. Yeah, I just got. I, I often thought about doing just my own website, or I was obviously too lazy. But um, I mean, tracks. I still write for tracks, but yeah, the, 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 he's not dead. He, I mean, he, he, yeah, he could he come can't back. Die. He could come back. <laughs> he could if come you back. can't kill him, yeah, you can't. Well, the thing is, li you literally can't as well because everyone knows who he is and he's still out there. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So before we were surfing, we were chatting about um, you know doing the chronology thing. So after we finished working together, you yep. went to France. Yep. So your next local at that point would have been you know Hossegor, Anglet, which was yeah. I moved to Biritz. I moved down to Biritz. rather than Hossegor. Yeah, I went to so Anglet was kind of my yeah, yeah. my home, my hometown, home beach there for four so, years. So the dream came true. You, you finally did it. I did. Yeah, yeah, and I and I loved it. Um, it coincided with having I had both my children at that stage, so it was. I mean. It was a little bit isolating in terms of you've got two, you know, kids under two or three and yeah. you're in a foreign country and my French is, uh, well, non-existent. It still is to this day. So, yeah, but it was. I just love being that part of the world and um, I had some, yeah, I had some good mates there like Dog Marsh was a friend from home and Sammy Carrier and there's a good little expat community and the waves are amazing. So, yeah, I was just, I was surfing incredible waves and just living yeah, living in France. I loved it. I, yeah, I really enjoyed it. And you were doing the WSL, WSL stuff. You've always managed to do really well. Like, what I've, since you left Tracks, since you left ACM, you've always, you've always got work. You know, you've always, like a cockroach, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like crawling out of the recession. The Monday's always got a gig, you know, like I'm never worried about Monday. But, in all, you know, I, is that just because of the roots that you've got in the community in the industry that you can you can um, still because you know it's it's pretty you did billabong right yeah you were billabong for a while then yep. you got this long time relationship with wsl yeah doing you still like freelancing for everybody you're still doing you know the wavelength stuff we'll get to the podcast um the, you know you do some announcing you do commentary like you've always you're always finding finding the way to make this work which isn't that easy and it gets harder and harder and harder <laughs> as it goes on 
Um, yeah, thanks, Matt. Yeah, I suppose I have. I, I mean, you, at the end of the day, you're working for yourself and got to, you know, feed a family. It's a pretty, pretty good sort of incentivizer. Um, yeah, I think I found. I, I think I managed with those. It's about personal relationships. I tend to make with the people I get on with. Get on with well. I think I'm good to work with. I don't think I've caused too much stress for clients. Usually, once once I get a gig. Um, yeah, I I don't know. It, it's always, I'm not, you know, I don't particularly, I'm not aggressive enough, I don't think, personally, in hunting for new work. I don't put myself out there enough, really, you know. I'm probably my own worst enemy in some regards with that. But, um, yeah, I think with those, so far, Touchwood, there's always been a need for sort of the written word. And I've done sort of more commercial copywriting, which is dull, but, you know, pay, pays pays the bills as well and um yeah i think the wsl i've I've just managed i've sort of been working with them now for probably five or six years really and they've been one of my best clients and i've been through i've had some amazing like first initially was um chris moreau who was um used to be editor of surfer and he's a legend he he took me under his wing and then chris left and now there's a guy called dave finger who's uh is that, his real, is that his real name? That's his real name. <laughs> I kid you not. And I haven't met David, but we've had two years working together. And he's just... Well, you must be biting your tongue, trying to go. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, I've been good. Well, that's why, that's why I create the jobs, mate. Yeah, Every yeah, yeah. Again, yeah. Right, no, that, so there you go. That's, that, that's, that explains it all. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so I've been lucky to, um, I think, click with people and, and yeah, maintain good working relationships. And once I get in there, they, as you say, it's hard to get rid of me. <laughs> yeah. So you did France for what six years no nah, it was about yeah almost four years right then, yeah and then back to the uk yeah i came back just as the kids were ready for school and um it was all just got a bit hard uh, yeah but just visas and um getting a french system running a running a business is really hard uh, you know like a self-employed person in, in france is yep. kind of almost impossible i think it's gotten a bit better but it, yeah. yeah so all those uh, we had a house in London that we were going to come back and do up and get rid of. So yeah, there's a variety of reasons that we it was just it became easier to come back, come back, yeah, uh, rather than staying and try and jump through all those hoops and effectively try and start start afresh. Yeah, because yeah. you because you had a you know we mentioned it earlier you had a proper shocker with your visa stuff years ago, didn't you? Like yeah, I got deported from um from the UK actually yeah. on your birthday, right? Yeah, I flew in. It was, I'd, yeah, if I make a long story short or the other way around, um, I'd applied to come over to, to live here with Sarah, my now wife, but then it was just my partner on a de facto visa and they said, oh, you can't do that. You have to wait another 12 months to validate your relationship. So don't, don't apply for it because you'll get knocked back and that, that can be, uh, that can cause all sorts of issues. So I didn't apply, but I decided to come over on a holiday which was still valid too, because um, we're actually going on a skiing trip with her parents to Courcheval. So I right, I'd been in Hawaii on a work trip, and I flew into the UK. Still had a, like a a bit of a gash from a last surf at Rocky Point. <laughs> anyway, I flew in, and then um, yeah, just the, the guy. Oh, that's my phone. So the guy got me and said, "Oh, you've applied for a visa." And I said, "I have, but I." I know I knew I, you told me not to because I wasn't ready, but I am on a tourist visa. And anyway, f- they kept me 
Sarah and all the parents were outside the airport waiting for me. And then after four hours, they just kept grilling me and grilling me. And then eventually the guy just came in and said, we're deporting you. <laughs> like, you, you know, you want to live here? And I was just, yeah, I kept my cool, but it was so hard. And then I you're going to get the next flight back. And um, so, yeah, but they, and then they're going to, and I, I did start to kick off. And I said, well, we're going to continue back to LA where I'd come from. <laughs> this is like, this is proper Guantanamo Day days. And yeah, I was like, yeah, yeah. No, so anyway, no, yeah. I'll go to Sydney. Yeah. So I had a night in, U- in the UK. Like I got home at 12 at night and left at six in the morning to get the flight back. Hopped on the flight. Yeah, so I, I ended up leaving that night at like 10 o'clock and that was the 18th of December and I landed in Sydney on like the 20th and yeah, my birthday was the, the 19th. So yeah, that was a... Uh, That's a bleak one. That was a tough one, that one. Yeah. But um, <clears throat> anyway, got back in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you've basically made your home, haven't you? Because I did always wonder if you would end up moving back, but it looks like you're kind of pretty, pretty set, right? Yeah, we've just been trying to make that happen for a while, trying to um, get all your ducks in a row. It's it's hard to, yeah, to move your life and your family and your kids and your business. And effectively, if you land in Australia, you've got no, um, you know, no history. You know, you've got no tax records. You've got no, you know, you're effectively just coming off the boat with nothing. So you can't get a loan. You can't get a... Yeah, all that sort of boring stuff makes, but it's possible. You just have to be organised, and then um, yeah. So we're still the aim is to to do that. You know, the kids are still young enough to to do it, and yeah, that's definitely a plan. So I've just got to um get my shit together and you know run out the house and make the big move at some stage when it all works out for for everyone. So uh, yeah, it's proved harder than than we all thought. But yeah, okay. but yeah, I've made a I've made a home here. Definitely, I've got amazing friends here and. If it had waves, it'd be, it'd be a great place to live. <laughs> hey, cool. There's a few, a few waves around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just not welcome down here. That's important, <laughs> mate. So. Well, you know, probably down there as well. After you, you know, <laughs> your new mate down there as well. Uh, but yeah, I mentioned wavelength because obviously you've been doing loads of stuff with wavelength the last couple of years. And but really, you know, it's the it's the dream team, isn't it? It's the partnership, <laughs> you and Paulie. Um, so how long have you guys been kind of working together? Um. So yeah, when. Uh, of Paul Evans. Paul Evans, say. yeah. So when I um first came to, when I moved to France, um, even before, yeah, when actually when I first moved, when I first moved to the UK, um, when I went over to try and live in France, Paul was the editor of Surf Europe, so we we were sort of the same age and the same boat in terms of our work. So I sort of knew him and became friends with him. And then um, when I moved over to France, I got a gig working under him at. At Surf Europe doing their website stuff, and obviously um, we hit it off, and then we started the podcast. Then, so that was probably I don't know how long ago that was. But yeah, we've right. Been, so we've always, yeah, we did three or four years with. Yeah, always, I mean it's the same podcast, just a different platforms. Then we went to Empora, and then now to Wavelength. So, um, yeah, so we've probably been mates for like a good ten, fifteen years, and probably been doing this podcast stuff intermittently for five or six years. Um, yeah, and it's just, yeah, well, I think we've got the same sort of frame of references. We like the same things. We grew up in the same, weirdly, with the same, we like our football, as I mean, you do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, our cultural references are the blue, same. Bl- blue juice. Um, yeah, I mean, he loves blue juice, and that's <laughs> the, something that really brought us together. <laughs> and um, 
Uh, endless too. He, really, he likes endless yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, well. and he's, he's a big he's a big Point Break fan. He's got a narrow range of movies that he loves. He just bangs yeah. on, on on them. But once you get over that, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's a very funny man. I find him ex- extremely um, opinionated and arrogant, but with just enough charm and humour to make that um, make that all right. And, yeah, uh, I really even our WhatsApp, which is constant, and our chats are always supremely funny. He's a smart guy, as much as it pains him to say it. Uh, as you know, so as yeah, you yeah. When I failed, definitely his recent segment. Am I, <laughs> am I smarter than a smooth talking Matt Barr? I, uh, yeah. I failed miserably. Yeah, yeah. You know, I was. Uh, well, I'm happy to see that he's you know taken some of those new findings and is now like uh, re- you know they're appearing in his work. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm honoured. He's taken Matt Barr's. Yeah. It's just a fear. What is it? What's your word again? <laughs> it's not my word. <laughs> that one you invented? I didn't make it up. About pushing shit uphill? <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's the one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I do I do want to ask you the kind of state of the surf nation question, really. You know, given that you've, um, as as has been pretty clear, got, got the long view of this, been around the Aussie scene, the international scene, the British scene. Um, and got this pretty cynical but slash well-rounded take on it. You know, how 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 do you see it at the minute? Do you even care about that? Is that something you even worry about? No, I'm I'm a massive surf fan. Like I wouldn't, I would just I couldn't do what I do if I didn't actually enjoy. You know, like most surfers, once you get that bug, like watching surfing is the next best thing to doing it. You know, I find I still get that, and I still. Um, love watching those events, and even though I've, you know, I web- commentated on them and webcast them, and I, I've written about them, so you know, I watch more than any man alive. Oh, or, you're a geek, or no doubt. So yeah, so yeah. I still love it. Um, I think, I mean, I think, you know, I know the WSL. I'm a little bit biased, and then, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a paid contractor for them, but. Full disclosure, blue, the, <laughs> but, the, the but, blue the blue juice clause. Yeah, but you know what? I've always been pretty honest. But I think they've, I think without them, the surfboard, you know, the whole the pro surfing edifices might be, um, it would just be washed away. I'm not sure what would happen. That and if it did, I, you know, it'd be interesting to see what come out of it. I think the brands have obviously lost their influence, which to me, I hasn't that doesn't bug me because. Yeah, but that's interesting. That's also something I'd be interested in getting your views on because i mean it's like obviously proper surf industry chat but like you know sir you look around and even paul makes this point in his hostagore piece that's out at the minute like it's never been bigger has it but there's never been less money seemingly in in the industry inverted commas if you like you know so what what is going on there like you know events seem to be struggling brands seem to be struggling but yeah. yeah, it's never had a high profile. There's never been more people doing it. There's never been more people doing it. Yeah, never <clears> been more <throat> participatory for sure. I think the, I think the surf culture and the surf brand just had, they just had twenty years of where they were just it was literally the golden goose, wasn't it? It was like this boom of a new sport that just took over the world, and that the only people that were selling the stuff that all those people were interested in were, were surf brands. There's only like four of them. And so and that they just could they were just literally making hand over fist. Like printing money. They were printing money and, and it 
they got greedy, I think, and they made some poor decisions. And then the corporate sort of bolts come in towards the end. So I think that was it was kind of unsustainable in many ways in the first place. I just think that they got they got lucky, and then and you know we were part of it probably maybe got the tail end of it because I think the real yeah. the excess was like the eighty to ninety early nineties. Yeah, it was that, no, that makes sense. Probably yeah. mid nineties when they were hiring helicopters to fly execs to tavern you know it was it was craziness yeah. like in, especially in france and so i think that was kind of just a weird stage and now yeah well, i think it's i think post post financial crisis had a big thing to do with it now it's just i think it's just, i think it's the same size industry just instead of four brands there's there's 40 and that just means that there's less you know the smaller mobs have less money i, I think well, you know, I've never, I've never sort of. I mean, I've worked with brands, but never been in the inner circles of it. Yeah. So I don't know how my strategic thinking might not be so spot on, but yeah, I just think there's a, and it's gone mainstream, and those brands now are it's up been against. It's di- been diffused, been basically. Diffused. Yeah, yeah, exactly, Matt. You summed it up well, and and you know they're up against the H and M's and the yeah Primarks. You buy the same stuff for ten quid, and but people um, people in that are passionate about surf culture just get so exercised by this you know like and there's there's obviously this constant debate about the fact that surf culture is changing and there's more people coming in and you know it's damaging the culture and blah 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 and you know you know what i'm getting at. yeah i do yeah like, so so what you know when i look at that and obviously i'm a, an outsider to surf culture really because i started late you know it's like the one of the three if you like surf skate snow that i was engaged in the, the when I was like the oldest, you know, didn't grow up with it. So I kind of yeah. look at that and I always just think, we just find that quite a baffling debate really, because you know, the way that I look at it, I always just think it is inevitable. Like it's happening. It's, it's not going anywhere. This, you cannot stop this. And I just always find this kind of constant. It's not as good as the good old days and, you know, the nostalgia and, and, and all that, like just, I don't know. I just find it a bit a bit odd. Like, uh, what? What? How do you see that? Well, I I totally agree, and I think sometimes I'm a bit out of step with it. Um, but that good old days argument is just. I mean, every generation does it. Um, I think it's just. I mean, even today, you know, we go out in that, go out in that um, you little surf, and there's that six grommets, you know, fifteen year olds, out there chatting away and having a surf and. I was like, that actually made my surf. They're still there. Yeah, they were stoked. They were, they were having a great yeah, time. Yeah, they are having they? a great time. And I think the crowd factor, yeah, that's an issue. But like, I go back even home to my home beach at Redhead and everyone's like, oh, it's so crowded. I'm like, it's not. It's not any more crowded than we growing up. Like, I remember it being, you just, I think that rose tinted glasses is still there. And as for the culture, I mean, how has it been? I don't really see how it's been diffused or it's lost its... I think people surfing just by its nature create that culture and if it changes you know like it was it was so I mean surfing is funny with the localism is is a part of it but you know there was no women weren't allowed effectively like if you surfed and you're a girl it was so hard you just you you come up against so many barriers of just um, you know it just was it was a hostile place to do a sport you loved so I think that's changed which that's that's helped um so yeah i i mean i agree i just think it 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 hasn't really changed that much people 
they fall in love with surfing in their teens. They sort of, or increasing it, you know, now in their twenties and thirties, um, and they thought they love it. And then as far as what they buy and how they purchase their money and what they spend it on, I don't really give a fuck. Like, yeah, it's, well, exactly. It's kind of irrelevant, you know. Even I, I, though I'm sometimes relying on those people to pay them away, I, I still think it's a just like. And to complain about it or to complain that it's changed, I, I also find baffling. Yeah, I, I mean, I, that's why I'm interested really because it, and it does speak to that because it's, it's so linked to tourism with surfing as well, isn't it? You know, it's so linked to communities like being really, you know, essentially like really wanting to hold out against these outsiders that are coming in yeah. and, and, you know, yeah, I, I just find it a, perennially interesting topic because obviously I've been lucky enough to interview loads of people with a great view of this so I always like to try and get their perspective on it really because it's, it's definitely a thing isn't it like there's this foundational myth of surfing that people always seem to go back to like you know and you're always going to be disappointed because it, it is long gone like it's not what it is now really no I don't, I don't even know when it when it was there or it, you know what how different it was to be honest um but even i had a friend who rang up and there was a wsl event that they wanted to hold in his hometown right and he was ringing up saying oh, he was just asking me about the events and what type of views they get and blah 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 and he was i was like well he said yeah now we're forming a group to stop this event happening in their hometown and i was like well why, why don't you want it and he's like well you know the place isn't actually built for the infrastructure yeah, there's not enough infrastructure to hold on to it. All this sort of stuff. But at the end of the day, the the reason was we don't want more people coming here to surf our waves. Like at the end of the day, yeah, um, that was that was the reason they didn't want this thing on. And he had valid sort of environmental concerns and infrastructure things around that point. But that was the point. We don't want people surfing our waves, and that's what most surfers it always comes back to that selfishness of just wanting to catch. You know, when you're out surfing, you want to catch waves, and that's what you want to do. And, other people stop me from doing that. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Which is why that that coalesces, I think, around when you when there's a localism that becomes easier. Yeah, of course. Yeah, well, that's, so that's the sharp end of that. That's what that's why it works, and then all the benefits come in terms of community and the rest of it. But for the most part, it's a negative energy, and I ne- I never really. That's why it, whenever I go anywhere, I don't really. I push that localism as far as I can. <laughs> Till I get punched in the head six times. To the predator. To the predator. As a word. Then I I establish where the boundaries are. (laughs) But yeah, localism to me, I always find, um, yeah, I never, I mean, I did as a youngster and I think I've outgrown, I suppose as you get older, you you outgrow these things, but it's a concept and a a thing that, yeah. I'm convinced it's just an excuse to be a balland. Like I really am because if, I get the problem. I completely get the problem and I get it's an issue. Like I'm not diminishing that for one second, but I do believe that you can't solve that problem by shouting at people and calling them dicks. Like I did that ever work in any, in any endeavor ever. Like it just, it just has never worked. Does it? You've got, you've got to explain, educate people. It's the only way it works. Well, that's why the um, wave pools are so interesting because when you go to those, um, which obviously is the next phase in surfing, which is just going to, I mean, there's 30 wave pools, you know, wave garden pools getting built right now as we speak. So it's it's going to be a fundamental aspect of surfing, which we don't know what's going to happen 
So it's a crazy, we're right on the cusp of it. But you go to those places and there's rules. And they're enforced by someone sitting above you with a whistle. Yeah, literally. And like, every single person yeah. that pays your money gets to go. Yeah. And that immediately. I mean, your skill comes into it in terms of not falling off and getting more waves, but... It removes that whole element. It removes it completely and it's a whole new vibe of turning up somewhere and surfing and knowing that that's not there. That's But, the, even, but that vibe was even there today. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that was yeah. like ludicrous because <laughs> yeah. it was like, you know, there was a couple of kids paddling around the inside on like literally an 18-inch bump, you know, like, but whatever, like it's... So yeah, I found the same thing fascinating when I went to the wave in Bristol. I mean, it's a bit different than Surf Snowdonia, which is the only two that I've ever surfed. Surf Snowdonia, you just two of you have that whole thing to yourself but um yeah like you know it's conveyor belt the wave isn't it yeah and and i i'm not gonna be too proud to admit really enjoyed the fact that you didn't have that thing going on yeah i bet yeah no i i um i i mean i found that there was probably a few times where normally i would have been able to paddle harder or i mean less so as you get older but paddle harder or get up on the inside but you just didn't and you know you know that, that person has got as much right to wave as you. So, but yeah, the fact that it was. Do but they, then, 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 you go, ben. <laughs> <laughs> but then you're in a lineup and it's, it's so subtle and it's such a weird thing where there's no rules. There's very few sports where it sort of comes down to maneuvering and positioning and posturing. And even with that today, like you maintain your spot in the lineup by a couple of paddles and that's, so you set your stall out and it's little things where... Yeah, I mean, it's... it's So it's a weird it, It's sport. fully psychological, it's fully Darwinian. <laughs> like, it really is. Like, it is it is a real thing. And I always... Yeah, I find the whole thing fascinating. It's group group dynamics and action, isn't it? Basically. But, yeah, you now, know, again, even the wave pool things, like I had Warsha on here, which was brilliant and it was a really great conversation. But, you know, he's his take on wave pools was like, he really believes they're like detracting from something fundamental that for him symbolizes what surfing is, you know, and, and he yeah, definitely that. believes that. Yeah. And he's usually right about most things. So yeah. Well, you got to take him seriously, obviously. Yeah. Well, it's one of those things that we won't know the effect. So it's way far too late. Um, and I, I, I don't, I don't like them. It's commodifies surfing and the beauty of surfing is you don't really i mean it costs money to buy a board or whatever but you don't need you don't need money to do it mm. and and it ain't and, snowboarding and instantly you do and you pay your money and i know that's the same case if you go to the mentawis or you travel but at its root you you know and you're putting a price on a wave and that's you know and, that, and that's part of i just think what matt's that's only part of the issue that Matt's got with it, but yeah, it's it's a it's a definite. It's it's become a commodity. The actual wave itself, which is the one thing that that was intrinsic to surfing, that it wasn't. You know, waves came free. Yeah, exactly. If you're gonna commodify that thing, you're That's, always gonna come up against opposition, just for that very reason. Just yeah. the fact that people are gonna disagree with that on a fundamental level, aren't they? You know, it's like. Yeah, because you're right. I mean, that is an element of it, definitely, which perhaps I hadn't considered enough, really. But but yeah, it's fascinating. It's fascinating because it is. It's just such an ongoing conversation, and it it is you know it's just unique to surfing, isn't it? You don't have it in snowboarding. You don't have it in skateboarding. Obviously, you have the cultural arguments. You know, people argue about the Olympics and they argue about progression. And is the mainstream ruining it? 
which just so pointed in surfing, isn't it? Yeah, it's weird. I mean, it's one thing that most non-surfers ask me about is um, sharks, <laughs> sharks and localism. You know, <laughs> the two things. That I mean, the beach grit um, formula. Oh yeah, right there. Yeah, they've gone mad. Yeah, and I mean that actually that Nazare, Nazare sharks and localism. Are what people non mate, you know, non-surfers sort of ask me. Ask yeah, me well, they're the kind of um, you know the gladiatorial end of it, aren't they? Really like the man man versus nature like thing that anyone can relate to really yeah exactly they're terrifying anything that scares you or violence is interesting isn't it yeah people find it interesting because it's not in their lives very much at all yeah so you just canned your france trip i did yes i did i was gonna go down i'd be there all week yeah i was gonna stay at my mate sammy carries or rich dog marshes or yeah, and hang out and go surfing, and uh, yeah, that got canned. So uh, that's a blow. I haven't surfed much in lockdown. I've been for the first time in life, even though I'm living over here, I've always had those outs. Yeah, and that was taken away. So I've actually um, it's been weird times and struggling without that. And uh, that was like a that was going to be my little release, but um, yeah, it didn't happen. But yeah, it yeah. Now that you've put me on the old insurance stuff, I'm going to go. Yeah, I'm going to go. Like I. I had a trip to Brittany planned um, and then I was like, I'm not going to go. And I'm like, I'm, I'm going to go, I reckon. I, I'm going to take the hit. I'm going to take the quarantine hit. Now I found that you can get insurance. Yeah. Which is admittedly very expensive, but I need a holiday. Yeah. Which is rich for me because you know, I've spent basically my whole <laughs> adult life basically being on a holiday. I'm very privileged to do that. But yeah, I definitely feel like I need to get away, do something different. Yeah, well, the UK without a travel aspect is a pretty harsh reality, really, isn't it? It's like, I mean, the beauty of the UK is that you can, you can get out. Get anywhere. No, well, you can also get to France, you get to the Alps, you can get Morocco, Canary, you know, like it is yeah. It is so easy. And then um, if that, with you know, the last six months, that's kind of been stripped. It's like, whoa, this is like a, a new ball game well, for me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I've, I've really missed it. So yeah, that was that was... I was, I was I was envisaging the, uh, you know, the the surfs on the beach and the rosés afterwards and all the rest yeah. of it. But um, yeah, yeah it's the, not going anywhere. I'll get back down the boulangerie there. in the morning. Oh. Yeah, oh. we had your Nazare mission with Jamie Brissick and Owen and Paul, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, just, we, just before. <coughs> yeah, that, that was, was that March. That was in March. Yeah, that was for the uh, February when I commentated the um, Nazare Toe Challenge. I've been to Nazare quite a bit actually. Um, over the years, I was like lucky to get like the first time Shane Dorian and Sancho sort of paddled it. I was part of the Billabong sort of comms team. I witnessed all that go down. End up in my underpants trying to help Andrew <laughs> Cotty's pull his jet ski out. So that's how that ended. Um, how did he like that? Oh, he was grateful for the help. Yeah. And, um, Why are you in your pants, Ben? Yeah, well, well, you know, I had to make a sacrifice. They found that ski about. The Portuguese Navy found it four days later, so I didn't even, didn't even help out much. And um, yeah, and then I've just been back, and then yeah, for the um, doing the broadcasting, yeah, that was this year. That toe challenge was amazing, and then ended up with um, unfortunately with um, yeah, when Alex Patello uh, had that accident, and yeah, we, I was calling that live, so that was um, God, how was that? Actually, no, I listened to you. It's terrifying. I thought your podcast was great. Actually, the one that you guys did after that. Because you, you must, you sounded quite 
fresh out the booth when you recorded that. Yeah. It was, um, yeah, it was heavy actually because it was the last 10 minutes of the whole event. You know, everyone's sort of winding down. It had been such a successful day. Um, and I was with Pete Mel, um, you know, who's just a legend. And he was, me and him were just sort of wrapping it up. And, and then that happened. And I mean, even like this, we saw this, um, we saw the ski get sort of pulled apart. And we're, I was even making jokes about, right you know like you need a well that's gonna need a jet ski repair blah 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 and then and then it was pete went that's a body and then we knew that he was yeah he's fighting face down so and then i I think we all could have handled it a bit better the the director sort of stayed on the action i mean it was compelling but it just went too long and and controversial even i was was trying to yeah it was almost like live cut broadcasting a a, a drowning or a death i mean that's what's going on and and then even when he was on the beach, we had to keep giving updates. They kept like the camera just stayed on it. And I was having to f- literally fill air with this this trauma. Um, but he, we then we got the nod that he was okay. And then that, that, that was that was massive. And um, yeah, so it was a, an amazing event. Just I any I just was saying we had our mate Benny Benson texting this morning saying he's in that area, should I go and watch it? And I was like, Any chance anyone gets, yeah, go to Nazare on a big day. And just watch the waves. There's nothing like it in the world. It's just the most fascinating. Um, yeah, you, there's no better vantage points in the waves. That you just don't see waves that big anywhere. And, and it's so close. It's such a brilliant place to yeah. just to watch at the ocean. Yeah. So Have you surfed it? No. Not not at that size, obviously. I've surfed it like six foot and stuff. Yeah. yeah I mean, it, it's it's always four foot on any day yeah. of the year. Yeah. And it gets four to six foot. It just gets perfect. It's, yeah. uh, it gets really fun. It's always powerful. But yeah, and then once it gets above that, it just becomes it's so powerful. Yeah, and then those. I mean, what those guys do. That's that's when I'm in awe. Like they, I saw the paddle event called it the year before, and then the tow event, and just the danger. I don't think there's any sport that like fundamentally puts yourself at risk. Like where the risks are I know they manage it so well but the risks are so yeah you forget you, you just, forget and, and, and you know the thing with Alex it's one of them when those things happen you reminded how fortunate it is that they don't happen more often really because the consequences are so high you know and, and you really see it with an incident like that don't you yeah oh for sure and it's just I mean you know he's one of the most experienced his partner Hugo Vow has been there since the start so in terms of preparation in terms of yeah you don't get more, more like, yeah, can't and, be more experienced and then within a split second you know it was just yeah it was it changes and that wave you you watch it and you just think how can a human body just you know and they put themselves at the uh, you know and the jets picking up the jet ski all of that it's just a fa- that's why it's so fascinating because there's skis to watch there's toe yeah. surfing to watch there's wipeouts it's just but yeah I, it the preparation, I mean, like the commitment to that lifestyle. I know all all athletes at that level, elite athletes, put themselves in that. I mean, is it close to that Alaska? I suppose that, there's Alaskan snowboarders and things like that. I know that. Is that that level? Yeah, of danger? I mean, I, I'm, not, like, I'm not sure, but yeah, I mean, I I would say yes, really. Yeah. Like you know, when you see Travis Rice, what he's doing at the minute. It, it, it yeah it's that high consequence yeah because mm. if he if he makes a mistake he's 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 gonna die like yeah. there's no doubt about that and yeah. not just him that that's the level yeah that's the level yeah out, i would yeah. agree I, I you know obviously it's it's a bit more cerebral let's say because 
ultimately it's not as visually um arresting as, as the, the image of like Nazareth or whatever but yeah definitely definitely and i think it's a good comparison because the skill and experience that you need to accrue to even walk in that door to even show up and and be part yeah. of that is is a lifelong pursuit obviously but yeah the free riding that they're doing in snowboarding now is like it's it's actually especially if you know snowboarding it's actually quite it's, it's quite scary to watch you know like what the, the consequence and the positions that they're putting themselves in in the same way that you're describing about about surfing really um so yeah would completely agree um but on the wave thing you know you, you mentioned you've mentioned like all these waves that you surfed you've been pretty lucky you know done a lot of traveling um surfed all over the world surfed some of the best surfers in the world most famous surfers in the world what what are you going to say is your cheesy question what's your go-to what, what would you what would you go you know what's your favorite place that you've surfed out of all these places um well, i think my go-to if i could go anywhere like right now i would probably go to g land not just because it's rod Cunthorpe's spiritual home you just want to go and get <laughs> but because it's just, you see if i'm lads are still there it's just an amazing place to surf and it's still like such a it's just a, a a camp in the middle of nowhere there's no distraction there's just surfing and it's you, you're getting the rhythms of the of the tide and it, it's just a brilliant place to go and that and tahiti and chopu is it's just a this is a beautiful beautiful spot there's great ways i mean chopu is an amazing way but you don't have to surf that there's like incredible fun passes next door there's waves of all levels for all people and it's just the food's incredible and yeah so tahiti is it's like you know they say it's like paradise but when you go there you just yeah yeah so i would uh yeah g land for just for getting barreled and hanging out with Aussie whackers. Yeah. Getting um, the getting the rod the rod chat. <laughs> getting the rod chat. Chopu. Get, getting fawned upon. Yeah. And uh and then yeah, number, chirps, th- number three, Bournemouth. And then yeah, Bournemouth. And then Bournemouth probably Reef. probably shit pipes. And then I'm gonna go, yeah, hot pots just below that. <laughs> <laughs> Given my current circumstances. Especially after today. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I love it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've been I've been lucky. I've surfed some good ways with some yeah, really good surfers. Yeah. Watch it's yeah I've been lucky to watch those guys you know like at Chobes I was staying with um, Parko and Noki and and Andy Irons were getting up at five o'clock in the morning and getting a boat to that secret spot just us you know and I was just hanging yeah that's sort of stuff stuff um dreams are made of you know when you're growing up to yeah, be in right. that privileged position and, and uh, how, you know kooky question but how's how's the ego when you surf it? <laughs> <laughs> oh sky high mate <laughs> i just can't wait to tell all the boys at home yeah yeah no nah, yeah you like you just well you're just a minnow you just don't even they don't even know you're there yeah um is that the trick where you got the nickname napoleon dynamite from no, <laughs> no that was a different one let's finish up on that's a great one that's andy's wife right yeah we we're on a it was in red bull it was a red bull boat trip in fiji and it was like Every surfer, like um, Andy and Bruce, Mick Fanning, um, Ian Walsh, Jamie O'Brien, like the whole team basically. Heavy and crew. All the like, plus all the Red Bull uh, big wigs, plus. Probably like, not buying my localism argument, let's put it that <laughs> way. Plus Ted Grambo, John Frank. Wow. Um, 
Art Brewer. Like just this boat of every legend and, and you and me <laughs> and the only girl on the boat was um andy's wife lindy um anyway i we didn't get any waves it was like there was right. a wave so we'd, we'd drink a lot of red bull and vodka basically anyway we all it was a big sort of floating sort of big old cruise boat effectively and we had all these dinner tables and i got quite friendly with um with andy and and lindy and we we had quite a few dinners. We you know, had a good time and just sort of clicked with both of them. And um, anyway, at the very end of the trip, um, we we're sitting around the table, and um, Andy goes, oh, "Amanda, you're like, you know, you're like Napoleon Dynamite." <laughs> And uh, Lindy goes, yeah, 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 money. And I hadn't seen it. I was like, yeah, 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 cool. Yeah, he must be a funny he guy. He must be a real cool guy. He must be a real funny sort of, you know, humorous kind of a guy. I was like, yeah, yeah, Napoleon. They, started, they called me Napoleon a couple of times. I was like, yeah, yeah. And anyway, I got back home and I was talking to my wife, Sarah, and I was like, yeah, I got on really well there, Andy and Lindy. I just really struck up a call. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what they like to be, but they just did, you know, just really close she's like yeah whatever like lindy's like just this bikini model um massive fake uh booze at the time beautiful but also she's really funny and kind anyway i was like yeah and then we so i said we, about two weeks after i got, I got it out and what so it says and she's just gone are you kidding me is this <laughs> what they were calling you and i was like oh i watched it and i was like fucking hell so i actually texted andy then and then I was like, I've just watched Napoleon Dynamite for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> That's not funny. That's not fair. It is pretty funny. There's a, uh, I've actually got it. Matt. AI um, forever. Matt Ward did an animation of that story. Have you seen that? Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah. It's yeah. gone off the internet. I've, I've finally got it. But anyway. Yeah, anyway. I'll, get, I'll get that for yeah. the, There we go. Show that notes. Yeah. yeah. Well, we did it, Mundy. Yeah. Thanks, Matt. Nice one, man. That was great. Um, yeah. Let's hope we get some more waves next time. Yeah, I'm at your new local. Anytime hot pipes on, just call yeah. the hot pipe line and I'm down. <laughs> so there you go. That was me and Ben Mundy, and I hope you enjoyed it. Proper laugh doing that one, as I think you could probably tell, despite the fact that the surf was pretty shit in the end. Sorry about the banging, by the way. I'm back in the shed. I've got the doors open. I think that's actually my wife doing some DIY in the house um, while I do this intro. There you go. How's that for a gender role reversal? Anyway, my thanks to Ben for coming down to Shoreham and getting stuck in. Great to see you, mate. Look forward to seeing you at your new local again soon. Wow, that is actually quite loud, isn't it? I'm going to persevere. I'm sure we can all put up with that. Anyway, on to housekeeping corner. Yeah, thank fuck. The rest of those lightweights have left us to it. And speaking of that wavelength segment that I mentioned earlier, now, predictably enough, that one raised a few titters amongst long-suffering, looking sideways listeners, including none other than Matt Warshaw, who got in touch to say this after he'd listened. Oh my God, that made my day. The best part was that they kind of dick-slapped you, but did it with love. And that one saying he was as bright as you at the beginning then failing on the quiz, classic. They need to make that a regular bit. Anyway, I love your pod, Matt, and love that you bring the big words and phrases. Carry on, brother. You know, I'm taking that as high praise indeed. I mean, that's Matt motherfucking Warshaw, legend of modern day surf journalism, giving me the thumbs up. So I'll I'll take that. And I must admit, I was tickled a few days after that Waveland thing aired to read the following in Paul Evans' latest piece on Hossegor. If Sisyphus, in a moment of pragmatism, finally let go of his rock, it would surely roll downhill from any 
and every point in west of the Caucasus Mountains and come to rest next to the Lifeguard Building. Yeah, you need to read the whole piece for context. I, I'm not sure who edits the, that piece, Paul, because those commas really are all over the place. But anyway, was this Paul Evans referencing one of the very phrases that the boys had bagged during that same segment with what appeared to be a straight face? Verily, I am honoured to have inspired you thus, Paul. And I look forward to some of the uh, other words that were mentioned appearing in some of your work very soon. Upon which self-referential and indeed meta point, I move on, in which case, in this case even, to a letter from a listener, Scott, who writes, Hi Matt, I'm a relatively new listener to the podcast, having discovered it a few months ago when Nicholas Muller was posting troubling shit on Instagram. With everything else going on, I was finding Nicholas's post quite unsettling in that I'd always felt that people in the outdoor action sports community generally shared a similar worldview, and that is clearly not always the case. Your commentary on this and other issues and your efforts to include a diverse range of guests has been very helpful and encouraging and has made me think more about what I can do to be more informed and understanding. So thanks for the great work. Thanks for keeping it ad-free. Ad ordered a t-shirt this morning cheers scott nice one scott not just for ordering the t-shirt always appreciate messages from listeners i'm glad you've enjoyed last few months of the show it's a timely message that one actually yeah segue alert because as i was mentioning at the last at the end of the last episode my interview on the one percent for the planet planet service announcement podcast is out now and we ended up discussing the mother thing and the nuances of that issue in quite some detail during that conversation if you're interested in hearing that like I say, you can find it on the 1% for the Planet website or over at Planet Service Announcement at Apple Podcasts. Greatly enjoyed my chat with James. Looking forward to meeting him in person sometime soon. He very generously just invited me on a mad sounding surf trip in New England in January next year. Apparently they're going to um, ride fat bikes to different surf locations on the New England coast, which sounds fucking freezing. And from the picture that he sent me... Um, yeah, it's basically people on bikes in the snow looking really cold. Now, I'm used to getting cold while surfing, but that definitely looks next level. Appreciate the invite, James. Not sure I can make it, not just because of the cold thing, but I don't know, January I'm normally snowboarding because I'm very lucky to be able to do that. But um, if I do end up going, then yeah, it'll be covered on here. You know, maybe it's the New England Omnibus, which could actually be a very good idea. So I'll keep you posted. Anyway, that's it for this week. As ever, if you've enjoyed this one, and this is where I expect even the diehard housekeeping corners to gently back towards the exit, um, quietly close the door and leave me just talking to myself in a darkened room. Anyway, please consider supporting the show in one of the following ways. You can share it on social. You can leave me a review. You can say hello over at We Look Sideways at Instagram. You can buy some merch or leave me a donation if you're a proper keno. Links are in my Instagram bio. You could also head over to the website at www.wearelookingsideways.com where you can read the show notes for this episode, check the archive, the blog, and even sign up for the newsletter. The 10 things that I think are worth sharing every fortnight. There we go. Got through it. Right, we've got waves at the ship pipes again, so I'm off for a surf. Nice one.